0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 12th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fulce, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A new Court of Appeal decision perhaps answers the question of when is an expedited hearing too expedited? Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Kristen von Ritzhoff versus Ogden Entertainment Services. Ritzhoff sustained injuries while working as a banquet server back in 1996. Orthopedic injuries were admitted and psychiatric injury was denied. The PTP found Ritzhoff's right ankle permanent and stationary nine years later in 2005. Save for its significance as the origin of Ritzhoff's psychiatric injuries, the orthopedic injury dropped out of significant consideration in the case. Thomas Curtis, MD, found Ritzoff TTD on a psychiatric basis and in need of further treatment. This brought about the expedited hearing in May 2006. Ritzoff has been representing himself as his own attorney since 1998. The defendant began to cross-examine him at this hearing. Ritzoff effectively admitted working from time to time since his injury in 1996, However, the work comp judge terminated cross-examination over the defendant's objection, and even though the defendant had not finished because of alleged time constraints. The work comp judge also noted that the videotape the defendant sought to have admitted was more appropriate for later cross-examination rather than at this stage of the proceedings. Thus, the defendant was not allowed to fully cross-examine Ritzoff nor to introduce surveillance evidence. Nonetheless, the work comp judge found Ritzoff temporarily totally disabled from a psychiatric injury based upon an old 1999 medical report. The WCAB denied reconsideration of this order. By August 2008, Ritzoff had received electric shock therapy and by 2009 had attempted suicide by hanging while he was hospitalized. Dr. Curtis formed the opinion that it was obvious to him Ritzoff was totally and permanently disabled on a psychiatric basis. There now followed three more hearings. The first two focused on whether Ritzoff was psychiatrically permanent and stationary and thus no longer entitled to TTD. The third hearing ended with the finding that Ritzoff was 100% permanently disabled. Ritzoff refused to be cross-examined at all three of these hearings. Dr. Gilberg was appointed by the WorkComp judge as the independent medical evaluator in psychiatry. He issued a report that Ritzoff would become permanent and stationary psychiatrically by December 31st, 2008. The Court of Appeal noted that the hearing continued on its downhill path, finally collapsing in inconclusive confusion. But one reality did emerge. Ritzoff was true to his word. He did not testify. This hearing concluded without a word of testimony by Mr. Ritzoff. Nonetheless, the Workcomp judge concluded that Ritzoff was temporarily totally disabled. The appeals board affirmed the Workcomp judge's order. However, the appeals board noted the defendant's legitimate complaints regarding lack of an opportunity to cross-examine the applicant. The appeals board explicitly stated that if the applicant intends to continue to prosecute his claim for workers' comp benefits, he must submit to cross-examination. Another 2009 hearing requested by Ritzoff was essentially the same. The WorkComp judge did not allow cross examination on issues related to temporary total disability and stated that this issue was already settled. Ritzoff eventually took the stand, however, he squarely refused at least six times to answer defense counsel's questions. In short, as in the first hearing, Ritzoff did not testify at this second hearing. The work comp judge ordered the defendant to reinstate treatment with Dr. Curtis. The appeals board denied defendants' petition for reconsideration and let the work comp judge's decision on temporary total disability stand, but, quote, only for now, end quote. The matter came on for hearing over the objection of the defendants for a third time in 2013. In this case, discovery remained open until the final mandatory settlement conference. However, since the 2009 hearing, the defendant still was unable to obtain the deposition of Dr. Gilberg who had recused himself because of harassment by Mr. Ritzoff. At the 2013 hearing, Ritzoff preemptively refused again to respond to any questions by defendant. With no testimony being allowed, Ritzoff was nonetheless found totally permanently disabled with no basis for apportionment. Reconsideration was denied, but the Court of Appeal reversed and remanded the unpublished case. For two centuries past, the policy of the Anglo-American system of evidence has been to regard the necessity of testing by cross-examination as a vital feature of the law. This is one of the fundamental guarantees of a fair hearing for there is no doubt that the right of cross-examination is guaranteed to the parties in workers' compensation proceedings. The importance of cross-examination as a means of testing and attacking the credibility of a witness is undiminished in the modern era. The orders of the WCAB were reversed, and the case was remanded for further proceedings. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation has posted an adjustment to the pathology and clinical laboratory section of the official medical fee schedule to conform to changes in the Medicare payment system. The update includes all changes identified in the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services Change Request Number CR9028, which can be accessed on the CMS website. The order is effective for services on or after January 1, 2015. The order adopting the adjustments can be found at the DWC website. The DWC has also adopted an order adjusting the ambulance services section of the official medical fee schedule to conform to changes in the Medicare payment system. The effective date of the changes is January 15, 2015 for ambulance services paid for under the OMFS. The adjustment incorporates the 2015 Ambulance Inflation Factor, which has been announced by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Ambulance Inflation Factor for calendar year 2015 is 1.5%. Maximus Federal Services has been awarded the sole contract by the DWC to administer the IMR process for all of the treatment provided to California injured workers. The latest DWC IMR progress report seems to suggest that the IMR process is progressing flawlessly. But according to recent news stories, Maximus does not seem to be a company that is flawlessly run. The company has hired laid off and rehired hundreds of employees at the call center, which opened in fall 2013 to provide customer support for the federal health insurance exchange created under the Affordable Care Act. This round of layoffs is permanent, according to a letter just given to Maximus employees. The letter advises that Maximus would close its offices and conduct mass layoffs, according to a City of Boise spokesman. Maximus is a subcontractor under a $100 million, 30-month federal government contract for services to exchange customers. The Maximus layoff letter to employees said that the reduction in staffing is based on the terms of the government contract. Yet the new layoff seems to be somewhat chaotic even for a government contract. Maximus hired about 1,600 people for its Boise call center launch in 2013. Layoffs followed in the spring of 2014. Several employees from the Boise call center sued Maximus over the layoffs. They claimed the company led them to believe the jobs were permanent. Maximus denied those allegations, saying its call center work was temporary ramping up and winding down in tandem with the Federal Exchange's enrollment season each year. This lawsuit is still pending in federal court. Separately, employees at the Boise office sued Maximus in early 2014 for unpaid overtime. That lawsuit also is still pending in federal court and claimed Maximus mischaracterized the employees' jobs and, as a result, deprived them of overtime pay. Maximus denies those allegations. Maximus started its latest Boise-area hiring spree in summer of 2014 for the 2015 enrollment, enrollment season, running November 2014 through February 2015, and struggled to fill 1,800 openings. The Idaho Department of Labor coordinated several job fairs for the company. Maximus continued to advertise opportunities at its Boise call center as recently as last Friday on its career website, but it had taken down the actual job listings for Boise. Now it's back in layoff mode. And in medical news, a new study out of the journal Neurology shows that Lyrica is not effective in controlling the pain associated with lumbar spinal stenosis the most common type of chronic lower back pain in older adults. Chronic low back pain is one of the most common reasons why older adults go to the doctor and lumbar stenosis is the leading indication for surgery in this age group. While physicians have increasingly looked for medication alternatives to opioid pain medications like Lyrica to help these patients manage their pain, until now, there has been no credible evidence as to whether or not these treatments are effective. LERC is approved by the FDA to treat chronic pain associated with shingles, spinal cord injury, fibromyalgia, and diabetic uh, peripheral neuropathy. However, it is also commonly prescribed as an off-label treatment for chronic low back pain syndromes like some uh, lumbar spinal stenosis. Lumbar spinal stenosis is brought about by a narrowing of the spinal canal caused by the degeneration of the vertebrae, discs, muscles, and ligaments that compromise the spinal column. This results in a compression of nerve roots that can trigger pain, tingling, and numbness in the lower back, buttocks, and legs. The pain is most commonly experienced when a person is upright or walking and can be lessened by bending forward at the waist, which is often why one sees older adults hunched over with a cane or a walker. While some narrowing of the spinal canal occurs with normal aging and does not always cause pain, more severe compression of nerves limits mobility and leads patients to try stronger pain medications and epidural steroid injections in an attempt to control the pain that is associated with walking and standing. Patients also often decide to undergo surgery that removes a portion of the bone or disc to give the nerve roots more room. This procedure called a lumbar laminectomy is the most common reason for spine surgery in people over the age of 60. While the surgery is initially highly successful, the pain often returns after a number of years. Also, for some patients, surgery is not an option. For a long time, physicians have attempted to expand the arsenal of medications available to treat this condition. In fact, it is estimated that more than two-thirds of the pain treatment regimens currently being used for lumbar spinal stenosis consist of drugs like Lyrica, that are not approved by the Food and Drug Administration for the condition. This new study convincingly demonstrates a lack of relief with Lyrica, an expensive drug for the walking pain associated with lumbar spinal stenosis. It is estimated that more than half of adults in the United States diagnosed with knee osteoarthritis will undergo knee replacement surgery. It is estimated that the number of total knee replacement surgeries has more than tripled from 1993 to 2009. And a June 2014 study found that 95% of knee surgeries are attributed to the epidemic of overweight and obesity in the United States. While improvements in implantable devices and surgical techniques have made the procedure highly effective, pain control after surgery remains a common persistent side effect for patients. During the two-hour knee replacement procedure, the orthopedic surgeon removes the damaged cartilage and bone and inserts a knee uh, implant to restore the alignment and function of the knee. More than 90% of knee replacements are functioning 15 years after surgery, according to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Now, a new injection technique has been found to speed knee replacement recovery. A new study presented recently at the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons meeting in Dallas found that injecting a newer, long-acting, numbing medicine called liposomal bivacine into the tissue surrounding the knee during surgery may provide a faster recovery and higher patient satisfaction. Many patients were able to walk comfortably within hours after the surgery using this new technique. Hundreds of health professionals engaged in a spirited debate about the proposed sale of a nonprofit Linwood Hospital to a for profit hospital company in Ontario. St. Francis Medical Center is one of six struggling Roman Catholic nonprofit hospitals that Prime Healthcare Services has agreed to buy for about $843 million in cash and assumed liabilities. Because Prime Healthcare intends to convert the Daughters of Charity Hospitals to for-profit status, the sale requires the approval of California Attorney General Kamala Harris. Her staff hosted a public hearing in Linwood to hear public feedback about the proposed sale of St. Francis. Harris is expected to make a decision about the sale by early February. Opponents urged Harris to reject the sale, saying Prime Healthcare places too big of an emphasis on profit, and the sale would diminish the services that the Catholic hospitals provided to their primarily low-income clientele. They also noted that the Justice Department is investigating Prime for alleged billing fraud. Supporters of the sale note Prime's history of rescuing struggling hospitals by reducing costs and increasing revenues largely through tough negotiations with insurers. Prime owns 29 hospitals in California and eight other states. Prime Healthcare has vowed to keep the hospitals open for at least five years and retain all services, including emergency rooms, and would continue to provide care to patients who are unable to pay for services. But the president of the St. Francis Registered Nurses Association said, he thinks that Prime will reduce services provided to those people unable to pay. A chief executive said the six Catholic hospitals probably would be forced into bankruptcy if Harris rejects the sale. In addition to St. Francis, the Daughters of Charity hospitals include St. Vincent Medical Center near downtown Los Angeles, O'Connor Hospital in San Jose, St. Louis Regional Hospital in Gilroy, Seton Medical Center in Daly City, and Seaton Coastside Medical Center in Moss Beach, north of Half Moon Bay. And in other news, Patriot National announced that it has commenced an initial public offering of more than 8 million shares of its common stock and has filed a registration statement with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The initial public offering price is currently expected to be between $16 and $18 per share. Patriot intends to list its common stock on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol PN. It will use the net proceeds from the offering together with borrowings under a proposed senior secured credit facility or cash on hand to fund repayment of existing indebtedness. Any remaining net proceeds will be used for working capital and general corporate purposes. A registration statement relating to these securities has been filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission, but has not yet become effective. A prospectus will be available from the underwriters before any shares will be sold. Patriot is a national provider of comprehensive outsourcing solutions within the workers' compensation marketplace for insurance companies, employers, local governments, and reinsurance captives. It provides general agency services, specialty underwriting, and policyholder services, and claims administration services to its insurance carrier clients and others. Patriot National is headquartered in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with seven regional offices around the country. It was founded in 2003 and booked $91 million in revenue for the 12 months ended September 30, 2014. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device, by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.